Amen. God is good. See, he didn't say it in my biography, but I'm a Mississippi boy. And that's the way we used to do it. Thank you so much for inviting me here. I thank you, Reverend Troy, for inviting me to your pulpit. That uh, shows a lot of faith in me, and I thank you. And I'm going to try to honor it as, uh, as it has been given to me. Now, I do want to give you a couple of disclaimers. I think it's important for guest preachers to give you disclaimers. No, I like Reverend Troy, and I do want to be invited back. <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep this short. And I know there's a light. I beat the light last time. <laughs> but here's the second disclaimer. I have a prepared text here, but I'm a former Pentecostal. <laughs> so I'm open. So, no, I can't promise you I'll stick to it, but I am going to try. And then I just want to say this, too, now uh, that I am a guest, if you don't like what I say, here's something for you. I'll be gone by the time the red light comes on. So, if you can stick with me until then, then you can get Reverend Troy for inviting me. Pray with me, please. Holy One, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gathering of your people in this place. And we thank you for the movement of your spirit that prompted every heart together here so willingly. As we go to your word, oh God, we ask that you continue to move and reveal yourself to us, that you use these lips of clay and this weak vessel to reveal yourself to your people. Remove me, O oh God, and let your glory be found and revealed to this, your people. Oh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart within earshot be blessed and, and approved by you and bound with you wherever we go. In your many names we pray. Amen. Amen. This, is a, this text is a hard text in so many ways, but uh, I got really in touch with the altar. And as I told you before, I'm a Pentecostal boy, so I grew up always being told, take it to the altar. And we had altar calls all the time, and you were invited to go up to the altar so that you can get saved and you can be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I spent a lot of time at the altar. And... I enjoyed being at the altar, especially that's when the music was at its highest, but I, I also had to confront that I had a lot of distractions at the altar. And it, it, it couldn't be helped. I mean, there was so much going on, and that atmosphere was very charged, and there were people all around you screaming and, and telling you to open yourself to the Holy Ghost. And uh, I would get distracted by the perfume, and and, and uh, no offense, sometimes the breath, uh, and then just sometimes just a lot going on at the altar. 
But as I matured, I began to allow the altar to hold a different place in my conversation with God. I would come to experience change and transformation, a new way of existing in the presence of God in that moment. And then as I began to experience that over and over again, as I allowed God to be in relationship with me, I began to understand that I didn't actually need a particular church or a particular altar at a particular time to experience this call that I was feeling. You see, I discovered that the altar never left me. Now, the truth is, my words and my actions may not always reflect it, but the altar never leaves me. And what I hope you'll come to understand by the time I take my seat is that the altar never leaves you either. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would also enlist the altar to illustrate how life in the realm of God should be lived. The call incumbent on those who have decided to be in conversation with God. And our spiritual forebears knew all about this. They found their deepest conversations and transformations at the altar, the places where God showed up, the places where the very presence of God or divine love, grace, and mercy, and even advice altered their lives completely. You see, it was at the altar that God shook Abraham out of his murderous madness against his own son Isaac. It was at the altar that Jacob, Jacob the, the sneak and the thief, it was at the altar that Jacob remembered God's rescue of him in his cowardly escape from his brother Esau. It was at the altar that Moses had his covenant conversations with God where God's covenant fidelity is honored over and over again despite the stubbornness of the people. And here in this sermon, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out for the disciples what we call the Beatitudes or blessings, which describes the prevailing norms of life in the reign of God. But he would use it to, to invoke the altar, the altar as the locus of reconciliation and spell out for his disciples how they are to be in the presence of God. Oh, I know, when he began to preach, people thought this was going to be a familiar one. Jesus is going to preach on the, on the law. I've heard this before. And so I'm sure they gathered around to hear. And, and Jesus had the authority and the knowledge, and he begins to discuss the law with the familiar, familiar lesson. And he said, you have heard it said that you shall not murder. I'm sure it was say, amen, preacher. Amen. You have heard it said that you shall not murder. But then Jesus continues. But I say to you that if you are angry with a sister or brother, you will be liable to judgment. Probably got as quiet as it is right now. It got quiet. But they get to listen, listen carefully. 
If you are angry with a sister or brother, you are liable to judgment. So what, what, he expanded the ethic. It's about to get a little personal to them now. You shall not murder, but I'm going to your anger. So what he was saying, I'm telling you now that your anger with your sister and brother, you can also murder them without laying a hand on them. I'm telling you now that your anger, your anger has the potential to murder your neighbor. Your anger, in your anger, you possess the potential to kill with your tongue. You possess the potential to destroy the community with division. And you have the potential to tear down your sister or brother with your insults and your accusations. Oh, this is not the commandment I heard. This wasn't the one we heard. But you see, Jesus was calling to something more than simply following the letter of the law. He was letting them know that it's not enough to refrain from murder. You've got to guard against the destructiveness of your anger. It's not enough to put down your weapons that do physical harm. You've got to lay down all the words and the ways that do social and spiritual harm. I'm talking to the Houston churches out there. It's not enough to refrain from taking life. You have got to build life by being reconciled with your sisters and brothers. Oh, see, the implications for the spiritual life is clear. So when you offer your gift at the altar, see, there's a hook. If you offer your gift at the altar, when you go into the very presence of God, when you commence to be in conversation with God and you remember your anger with your sister or brother, when you remember the murderous and hateful feelings emanating from your heart against them, when you remember your fights and quarrels over all manner of things, you've got to make it right. Well, let me put it this way. What Jesus was trying to say, you cannot arrive with love in your heart at the place where God is showing up when you hate whom God loves. Troy, I'm, I'm, I'm about to get in trouble. Let me say it again. You can't arrive in the presence of God with love in your heart when you hate whom God loves. You cannot bring your offering to the place where God is present when you murder over and over again with your insults the very person who is beloved of God. Okay, that's what Jesus told them, but you get it? You must be reconciled. You must live peaceably and harmoniously with your sisters and brothers. But you see, Jesus made it dramatic. He could have said, live peacefully with your sister or your brother. And then we would have all interpreted that in our own special way. I'm living peaceably with you. I'm living peaceably, but I called you something really horrible the other day. But we are at peace. I told something about you, but oh, peacefully we exist. 
But see, this goes even deeper than it sounds in our hearing. As a people who worshiped at the temple, among the people of Israel, only a select few priests had access to the physical altar. And see, that Jesus would instruct them on being reconciled with their sisters and brothers before approaching the altar suggests that the altar must hold a different place in their spiritual lives. You see, the altar now that Jesus is preaching about, it, the altar is no longer tucked away behind the curtains and porticos of the temple. The altar is no longer this isolated enclave out of the reach of the, 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 the common people. The altar is the very presence of God. Wherever you are, there's the altar. Wherever you are, God is present in and through you. There's your altar. Also, what this means now, it gets a little tighter on you. Now you know what living peacefully means now. The reconciliation to which Jesus was called them had to be a constant covenant-keeping way of life. He was telling them that their anger and disagreements had to be experienced in a way that honors the presence of God and the sister or brother who is also made in the image of God. This is how change is created. Loving people when they're not lovable. Loving people when you're not lovable. This is how change is created. This is how they, these disciples, these common people, these people from diverse backgrounds, this is how they were going to make real the realm of God. This is how they were going to show the empire how the beloved community of God was going to exist, living altered lives in the midst of the empire that specialized in murdering people physically, socially, and spiritually, we will be reconciled. And this is not about the letter of the law. This is no check-the-box faith that says, oh, I didn't stab you, so I'm good with God. I didn't beat you up yesterday, so... Me and God are cool. No, this is, this is not the one that celebrates that I'm in good relationship because I kept the Ten Commandments and those other things, oh, whatever. No, no, no. This is about how we love and honor God's beloved just as we are loved and honored. This is about letting the altar the very presence of God always and everywhere, keeping us ever ready to be in right relationship with our neighbor. I know we've encountered this tendency to be legalistic. It's there. It's written. I used to say that back home, God said it and that settles it. That was an old phrase when they wanted to, to tell you that I believe every jot and tittle. But you see, the people, you, we've encountered the people of faith who follow the biblical commandments so rigidly that they fail to see and love the children of God all around them. Me and God are okay because I read it yesterday. No, no. And then we see those people with the spiritual ethic who question all biblical commandments with so much suspicion that they fail to respond to the promptings of the Spirit that inspire us to be in right relationship, even with those with whom we disagree. This is what I was talking about. If you don't like what I'll say, the red light's coming. <laughs> and I know some of you are saying, I know you, preacher, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how this can work. 
I'm not sure how you can call us to be reconciled. I'm not sure what it means to, to, to be reconciled with a sister or a brother. I'm not sure what it means when you say, I can't be angry or I, I've watched my anger. You know, there are church people out there who call us abominations. They call us all kinds of disgusting names, and they don't want us to worship in their churches. There are churches that prevent us from even taking communion, and they can't even bring themselves to be friendly and even loving to us. There's so much disagreement from every corner of the world, every nation, our politicians, everyone is fighting. How, how can reconciliation take place under these conditions? How can we create change when there are so many who resist us, our witness, our confession? And how can the altar affect change when there is so much disagreement about all manner of things? Oh, but it's about the change that's created when we live ourselves in an altered state of being. When we let the presence of God expand our own potential for loving our sisters and brothers so that reconciliation is the norm. An altered state of being is is the recognition that God is present in and through and around us, that the divine spark is always there to ignite the powerful presence of love and peace. It means letting that love flourish and inspire transformative change that overcome hate and murder and division that is crouching at the door to destroy. It is the recognition that we are never outside or away from the presence of divine love, and therefore, we ought never be unreconciled to those who are also beloved of God. And we are fortunate. We, we, we have seen the witness of those people who have lived altered lives. We have seen how much change and transformation can come when someone pursues reconciliation with sister and brother, even in the midst of division. Martin Luther King lived an altered life. And sometimes I can't imagine how he did it. Through bombings and, and, and the endless calls, that are the, the violent reprisals, he exhorted his fellow people to faith, of faith to lovingly and consistently be reconciled, to rise above the division of race, ideas, culture, and interests, to live together in harmony, guided by principles of equality and nonviolence, and boy, did he inspire change because of it. Nelson Mandela lived an altered life. He would cross the threshold of his prison cell, not only forgiven the oppression and violence meted out to him and his people, but renouncing his own violent past and committing to reconciliation with those who hated and persecuted him for so long. Oh, that's, that's what I mean, that... It happens here. It happens where you are. It happens when we decide that the presence of God is bigger than the words I want to throw at you. All those people, we see it all the time. All those people all around us, we see, we see them who respond to the lives and the cries and witnesses of those who are hungry and sick and imprisoned and marginalized and persecuted some way. These are people who live altered lives. They go into the belly of the beast. They speak truth to power. They challenge the empire to bring some manner of, of, of security and, 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 and some manner of justice to those who are suffering. That's what an altered life could be. That's what it can be. 
a recognition that the presence of God is all around us and that the things like righteousness and justice, words that get thrown away so willy-nilly can actually mean something in our time. The holy altar is a visible manifestation of God's alternative for the world. Yes, that's it. Us joining together, just like they did on a little mountain where Jesus is preaching these words, asking everyone to look into their hearts, to recognize the presence of God with them and be reconciled with their sisters and brothers. Oh, the altar can be the means by which we show the faithful living in God's realm looks like and how it upends the world's usual way of being relationships. When we alter our lives and allow reconciliation to become our way of being, we become truly the beloved community. And then people say, who are those people? They're getting along. They're loving each other. How can I be a part of it? How can I join this? And if I haven't given you the punchline, I better give it to you now. This is all about relationship. It's all about loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. It's all about the relationship. Oh, yeah, we can... We can excel at the finer points of spiritual and theological points of, of the commandments. We can expound on the Bible. But the call on us is to be in right relationship. Oh, we can sing with angelic voices and we can pray so eloquent that everyone will fall down in prayer with you. But when you get off your knees, it's about right relationship. Oh, we used to shout and dance in the church. The Spirit was moving high. And the Lord is moving. The Spirit is moving. But when you walk out the door, it's about how you love your neighbor. Oh, so now you got to be careful when you're in Walmart and Target. You got to watch how it is when you're driving and someone cuts you off. I have a little trouble with that one. It's about making that choice in those moments when the words of anger can begin to tear down and we make that choice right there. That God loves the person with whom I'm angry just as much as God loves me. And so then we can create the change. Create the change that affirms life and lifts spirits. We can let the presence of the divine love, grace, and mercy show up wherever we find ourselves, wherever on this earth we may be. The divine mercy, love, grace, and mercy is there bringing us life, and we want so much to share it with our sisters and brothers. That's how we can create change. And God is waiting, waiting for us to remember it. Amen.